Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. We have a returning guest, a very exciting returning guest. Alex, who have we got? We have someone who keeps coming back because basically he does our job for us. All those little intricate bits of history and places that we utterly fail to cover. He uh, contacts us and goes, do you want that? And we're like, oh, hell yes, we do. It's Josh from Historyland, Josh Provence. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I've just emerged from my random cupboard of places that History Hack would be interested in seeing. It's brilliant. So you've already done, we did Hawaii. We butchered Polynesian history, didn't we? Uh, yeah, it's lots of fun. Yeah, and the cartoon was epic. And then you've done, we have another one coming out very, very soon, uh, which is about a unknown pharaoh. kind of pharaoh. And then you originally <laughs> did Japan. But So tell us, where are you taking us today, Josh? Today, we say in our best CBBC uh, presenter voice, <laughs> we are going, <laughs> we're going to explore South American history. Boom. Because we don't have nearly enough of this. And the one we did on the Mosquito Coast actually went down really well. So whereabouts in South America are we going and why? Well, it's quite a broad geographical scope, um, actually. Uh, specifically speaking, the subject in question uh, was born in Ecuador. But because of the nature of the time she lived in, the South American Wars of Independence, Latin American Wars of Independence, whatever you want to call them, Wars of Liberation, you know, stuff like that. It's all very long-winded if it's not in Spanish. Um, it, it, she ranged from, from Ecuador down to Peru to uh, Colombia. You know, she went all over the place. Did she do Bolivia as well? I think she might have. Yeah, because yes. I noticed, so we went to Lake Titicaca and they basically sit on either side of the lake, the Peruvians and the Bolivians looking at each other going, yeah, this lake is technically more ours than it is yours and like giving um, each other side eye. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she absolutely did a bit of trash talking with people about who owned Lake Titicaca. Yeah. Anyway, so what do we know about Manuela Sainz, her early life? Well, uh... The thing about the people, the most famous people in the South American Wars of Independence is that they are absolute, 100%, you know, s certified legends. And that comes with many different backstories. Mm -hmm. um, Manuela, being, being ever so slightly uh, second player to some of the bigger 
characters, has slightly more variation in her background than some of the others. Um, but we know that she came from Quito in Ecuador, which is kind of a, a rural city uh, in the middle of nowhere, as far as everybody else listening is concerned. Uh, she was born uh, illegitimately to a, uh, a Spanish nobleman slash rake uh, and a and a, a, a criolla um, uh, spinster who was his mistress. Um, it's, the word criolla means is is just Spanish for Creole, which means you were of Spanish descent, but you were born in the Americas. And so, you know, that's, she was, so she was actually born in secret because of this, because her family, were, her, her, her mother's family was relatively respectable. They were embarrassed about the fact that her, you know, the daughter had got knocked up. So she got born in secret and then she, then her mother tried to get her uh, kind of a place to have a decent living in, but didn't manage too successfully to do that. And then she ended up in a convent and then she ended up being seduced by an army officer and running away with him. And she got kicked out of the convent. Then she, then her mother died and her father seemed to do the decent thing and uh, took her, took her in and gave her all the necessary things to make her a, or to try to make her a respectable lady in society. So she gets married in 1817. My gosh, I can't do dates anymore. Um, <laughs> how was married life for her? Married life was, was theoretically good. She got married to one of her dad's friends, who was an English merchant named James Thorne. And he was rich. He was relatively affable. He was about 20 years older than her, of course, uh, which, is some, which some might see as a drawback. But the fact that he, could offer, that he didn't care whether she was illegitimate or not, that he didn't have any problem with uh, providing her a comfortable living and would naturally offer her a certain amount of stability after a, a rather confusing uh, early start to life. Uh, was uh, was probably quite attractive to her. Um, so she didn't seem to put up any complaint about it. She married him, and they lived in Quito for a while. But uh, it soon became obvious that she uh, enjoyed being a hostess, and she became one of the uh, most prominent hostesses in the, in the city. And we find out that uh, Mr. Mr. Thorne, or Dr. Thorne, I should say, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, was a rather jealous chap. Uh, you know, you're a bit of an older chap, but relatively speaking, and you have a beautiful uh, young wife who really likes partying. It's uh, going to be a bit concerning to you. Um, and so he decides to pack up and uh, go to Lima, which is the capital of Peru. Why he did this is curious, because if it was out of jealousy, going to a bigger city with a more active social life doesn't seem like a very stupid idea. You're going to take her where there are more young men. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then they packed off to Lima, and pretty much, as you as my suspect, you know, the same thing happened again. She became a very popular 
uh, as a hostess, and she went around with a lot of famous and infamous people. And uh, she started to, uh, she already kind of disliked property people and Spaniards because of the whole, you know, affair with the Spanish officer and the fact that she was illegitimate and couldn't get, get you know, uh, her inheritance for a while. Uh, and so she started to fall in with this kind of the rowdy set, artists and liberals and and famous courtesans and things like that, and uh, really got a taste for for scandal and enjoying it. She sounds like a dude. I love her. Yeah, she's she's pretty epic. Yeah, I knew I mean, you would. Life in early nineteenth century. I mean, Lima's an epic city. It's brilliant. Um, apart from the traffic, uh, it's beautiful as well. But um, yeah, I'd I'd be rocking it and having a good time as well. I mean, what else is there to do in the early eighteen hundreds, other than the Inca Trail? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, the the other thing there is to do there is to become a revolutionary if you're Boom. in the eighteen twenties. Yes. Yeah. So do you think she began to have anti-royalist sentiments and why? Well, uh, like I said before, she wasn't a fan of the Spanish because of the bad experiences when she was a teenager, I guess. She kind of started, I think she must have, I think that that allowed her to sort of grow uh, a more developed antagonism towards the ruling sort of state and obviously that means the Spanish monarchy and uh, the Spanish government in, in Peru would have, it would have been around the 1820, I think, 1821 when the, this, the wars of independence had already begun in other countries in South America, such as uh, Venezuela and uh, Colombia. Well, what is now Colombia, I should say, but the slip into becoming, uh, you know, from from being a, a popular society, uh, so and so, uh, sorry, uh, lost my words, uh, a uh, popular socialite and a outright revolutionary seems to have happened around this time when uh, the Argentinian forces under General San Martin invaded Peru uh, or started to invade Peru and the Spanish started to come under attack in the, in the country from re- uh, Republican forces. And she was just, she was just suited to it. You know, already she was like wanting adventure. You know, she had a very boring husband and uh, a very boring and, je- and jealous husband. And she, she, she was already seeking in, things that were exciting to do, whether that was scandalizing people or just having a lot of fun and not really caring uh, what the consequences were. And the fact that she already didn't really like the ruling power and thought it was old fashioned and, and uh, she, and repressive. She was just made to be a revolutionary at this time. And so she became a recruiter and a spy and, and a, an active member of the of the Republican movement in Lima, and she seems to have been. I have I haven't seen a great deal of details. You know, I don't have one standout story or anything like that about what she did once she was there. But I think she did all of these things because she was quite well connected, and she seemed to do rather well because when San Martin took Lima, 
in, I think it would have been around 1822, 18, 1821, 1822, um, I think. He, he gave her a medal. She, she met him. She was actually very, uh, she he was much too shy to do anything about it because he was kind of a shy chap. But uh, he gave her the medal. He gave her the Order of the Sun. And uh, if you see uh, some of her paintings, you can see her wearing the ribbon and the star that uh, was given to, to patriots who had done good work at this stage of the, of, the, of the revolution. Tell us about the insurrection in Peru in 1820. And what was Manuela doing at the time? Peru was actually one of the royalist strongholds in South America. It was uh, not just uh, not just a sort of a client state or dependency. It was uh, the viceroyalty of Peru. It was one of the main centres of Spanish power in the Americas. So it was a tough nut to crack. Um, and unlike in Venezuela, where there was a where the revolution began with popular uprising started by our boy Simon Bolivar and uh, Francisco de Miranda, um, which were popular in nature. Uh, Peru required exterior um, an exterior nudge and a lot of help to get going. I uh, and so when successful rebellions were staged in Venezuela and states like Grand Colombia were, were formed and things like that. And in Argentina, way, way down south, the, the leaders of the revolution in those countries looked around at Spanish power and realized Peru is the place we have to take out if we're going to get the Spanish out of South America. And so they all made a beeline for it. And it was a quite a long and involved war because it lasted uh, from 1820, 1820, 1822 to um, uh, 1824. Because, and there had to be like two invasions <coughs> to get it done because the, the royalists were resurgent at some point or another, always resurgent at one point or another. And so this is how you get the Argentinian army coming in up from the south uh, under the the formidable soldier uh, general san martin and the uh, northern army coming down both i believe through various treacherous paths through the andes uh, under the the dynamic and heroic uh, libertador uh, simon bolivar and Wella, like I say, she was she was a recruiter. She was a courier. She she did the things that you do if you are well connected in cities and you want to be part of a revolutionary movement. You pass information. You say, "Hey, do you want to be part of the revolution?" Uh, and you organize things. And this must have been somewhat awkward because her father was obviously Spanish and a royalist, but <clears throat> she didn't care. And so she did. At the time when it broke out, she would have been already, I think, well in with with uh, <clears throat> with patriot circles, and was able to use her connections effectively to undermine and uh, help communications uh, to uh, uh, defeat the Spanish, and 
when Lima fell the first time, obviously she she became a war hero essentially, and uh, she got a medal and she went back. Uh, but she had to go back to Quito actually uh, very soon afterwards because remember her her husband, uh, Doctor Thorne, the jealous guy with the poor judgment. Um, well, he was he was friends with her father, and her father was uh, in a pretty dodgy position now that the Patriots were winning uh, over in Quito and he wanted to go back there and help them out because, you know, he had the money and he'd probably buy a boat and get them out of the country if necessary. <clears throat> and so she went back there and that is where she met in, that was where she met in, in uh, 1822, that was where she met uh, Simon Bolivar at the Victory Ball. Simon Bolivar, this is where he comes into the story. Tell us who he is. This name I know, despite my tragic, tragic knowledge of Peruvian history. Can I just share my favourite bit of Peruvian history, though? Please do. If you go to Cusco and the cathedral, um, they have the South American version of the Last Supper. um, And it's, it's pretty standard, apart from the fact that Judas's face is the face of the Spaniard that conquered Peru in the first place. And the dinner is a guinea pig. (laughs) <laughs> which is a so, delicacy well not a delicacy but a food source in peru i was talking yeah. to a girl in cusco town center who said that her mum just had a guinea pig run out the back and when they wanted to eat one they went out killed one and fried mm-hmm. it or whatever and ate it i couldn't bring myself to do it though i couldn't eat a guinea pig yeah i, I would feel weird doing it i mean you know if one's put in front of you i think i'm probably too polite not to try it but it's like no, yeah. I love you. This is like uh, <laughs> this is the Maasai Mara do this as well. If someone, sorry, the, Ma- the Maasai do this as well. If you offer them something, it's considered heinous to say no. So it's really funny to give your Maasai um, safari driver gin to see what happens when he tries it for the <laughs> first time. Uh, I miss it. Dee's awesome. If you go to the Mara, get D as your tour guide. Anyway, we've digressed as usual on History Hack. People know the name Simon Bolivar, but tell us who he is, because um, I know the name, but I don't know anything about him. And I suspect okay. that's going to be the case for a few people. Uh, Simon Bolivar is uh, just, he's, he's, almost, he's almost deified in, in certain parts of South America. He's known as the Libertador, uh, the Liberator. Uh, and because because he liberated, he's credited with liberating most of South America. He came from he was uh, he was he was born in Venezuela, um, uh, in Caracas, I believe, and he was a rather diffident aristocrat, uh, criollo, um, uh, to begin with. Not really interested in anything much. Very rich. Um, and eventually found his way to travel because he was just useless um, to all of his family. They sent him to Spain to have a holiday, really, and try and find something to do. And so he went to Spain, and he fell in love, and he he came back uh, with the and he had got permission to marry uh, the girl he loved, and he came back to Venezuela with her. I bet that's not what his family were planning when they sent him there. No, no, I think they were hoping for great things. But instead, he just hung around like the great courts of Europe and made a lot of friends and uh, got married. <laughs> and came back uh, uh, to kind of just live the life of a live the life of Riley, really. 
unfortunately tragedy struck uh, because his his wife died and he really truly loved her and um, it broke his heart and it sent him flying off into uh, various directions trying to find something to do and the revolution and you know what you know you lose the love of your life uh, throwing uh, overthrowing one of the one of the most powerful governments in in, in, in Europe seems like something that should be done the world is upside down so why not just continue mess with it some more yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. so that was that was his start it did not go well he was he was not he he didn't just win everything at the drop of a hat he failed the first time and uh, he failed the second time and then on the third time uh he actually he actually got some uh by this uh, and he got the spanish on the run this guy with with practically no military training to speak of, managed to become a very successful general and a very successful uh, leader of patriot forces. He had the gift of speech, and he, he and that that's that's what a revolutionary needs. Uh, he his letters are are very famous for their rallying cries. He's quoted quite a lot in in sort of patriot patriotic kind of literature and his his appeals and grand dreams for a one united south america are very uh, admirable and his idea to try and make everything equal uh, where things were not equal like you and wanting to, to abolish slavery and trying to make you know provision for the poor and allowing people of any kind of race then currently in South America to be able to get along in the world uh, where were some of his core principles, which sadly fell by the wayside as he came, went on and troubles came against him. He was a very complicated guy, but a very interesting guy. I said to someone yesterday that at his best, everybody would want to be Simon Bolivar, mm-hmm. but at his worst, uh, he was a very flawed person. Aren't many of the great people. Yes, yes, I'm indeed, thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking of Grandad. I'm thinking of Churchill. Could be a right fucker. <laughs> indeed, indeed, and Bolivar. <laughs> Sorry, really... I just I love I love now that it's it's Grandad. I think it it just. Oh, it I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace the crazies, Grandad. Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah that's your last name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, can I just say how long is it taking you to realise that? <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I don't. The problem is I don't live in the thirties, so I don't refer to people by their last names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I, I just George the Fifth thought he, he a right bugger is exactly what George the Fifth would have described Churchill yeah. as. Because yes, a brilliant, brilliant man, but a complete pain in the ass half the time oh, to get yeah, there. Absolutely. And it's true of all of them. I mean, Lloyd George for me is ninety percent pain in the ass. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And Simon Bolivar was absolutely this. He had, you know, he was just so classical. Or it's class, so typical of the, sort of the great man in, of history that he has these great qualities. But if you actually knew him, you know, unless you believed in him, then, you know, he's just the worst guy in the world. <laughs> Especially, yeah. And this just, this just grew and grew and grew as he got, uh, as his life went on and things, and adversity started to sort of chip away at the sort of the, the gilded image that was created uh, at first. I mean, it was celebrated across the world as this kind of 
shining hero kind of guy. But yeah, people who had to work with him saw saw, saw things differently. (laughs) Well, how does he hook up with, is it a real hook up, um, with Manuela? Well... Or is it a professional hook-up? Is it a prefer- Can you explain what you mean by that? I was about <laughs> well, to say, what is a professional hook-up? I'm, as, I'm in, as in not bedromantics. I didn't want to just imply that she jumped ah, into bed with him, okay. does she? Okay, yeah, she, she goes to the bedroom. Yeah, I guess it's Simone Bolivar. Mm-hmm. So exactly. it's a hook-up? Yeah. It is a hook-up. It okay, a hook-up, cool. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a feeling... I have the feeling that she would, pr- she might have, she might have tried to take up with uh, General San Martin if he wasn't such a shy guy. Um, I get the feeling she'd eat a shy guy alive. Yeah, she. You had to. You had to be a Simon Bolivar. To... It would be like an Alina and Zach. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, whoa, whoa, where is this coming from? <laughs> from, uh, from the immortal quote that you drunkenly gave once, which was, "I'd destroy him." <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep bringing this? Because it's brilliant. (laughs) And because of the thousand-yard stare he gets in his eye when we remind him about it. (laughs) The the images are not not, not, uh, weird at the second for people. The image of this couple is is fascinating, but Mm. but weird. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it was a hooker. To put a snappy name to it, it was definitely a hooker. She, remember, had had... No particular luck with finding anybody who to to care for or love or be attracted to that was kind of in her league, we'll, we'll say. Not in terms of like physical attractiveness, but in terms of someone who excited her and interested her. Yeah. Um, not since this, the Spanish uh, douche who, who got her kicked out of the convent and then abandoned her. Um, Swine. Yeah. And obviously that was a pattern she saw from her father as well, who would you know, pretty much left her mother uh, to for, to be cared for by her father, by her family until she died, and then he kind of stepped up. But yeah, as I said, Simon Bolivar at this point he's a hero. He is a he is a gallant, heroic figure, a romantic figure, and one who she probably knew full well had no trouble starting affairs, even if they meant absolutely nothing to him. Mm. Well, Manuela decided that, well, being Manuela, being the kind of woman she was, probably, I'm going to say she probably said, well, he's not going to forget me. And he didn't. He was entranced by her and uh, utterly captivated him. And she utterly captivated him, Um, you, you know, and he, and she, and she, and she found, and she got her hero, basically. She got someone to believe in. She got someone she could defend. She got someone she could get on board with, basically. And this started a very, fa- one of the, the most famous love affair of Simon Bolivar's life. She is best known as his, his most beloved mistress. And... This is, it all started this very romantically at this ball in Quito where he first saw her and she decided, this is the guy. And I don't care if I'm married. I don't care if people, um, if people start making fun of me. Uh, I don't mind being the mistress uh, because 
I see what I want and I'm going to go get it. I love that she is basically, as someone with an immense amount of daddy issues, she's taken it to a whole new level, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. she? <laughs> My dad was Spanish. He screwed me. Revenge now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does seem to sum up. Uh, like, that does seem to be quite a lot of sense to that uh, uh, character motivation there. <laughs> yeah, but not to, not to belittle her achievements. No, 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 no. Because she is a force of nature, isn't she? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense, I think. I think that's right. I think that that fits pretty well with certainly... You, it's, I don't think you get a lot of psychological analysis as to her motives. She, her, her story that I've read so far is always usually... In, certainly in English, I don't think there are many books about her. In Spanish, I think there are. But... As a result, you don't get a lot of sort of biographical, psychological insight into her motivations. So generally, you see her through the biographies of Bolivar or the histories of the Spanish Wars. Uh, mm. Sorry, the South American Wars of Independence. So that seems like a valid. It seems like a valid idea, to be honest. You know, my uh, <laughs> my dad ruined my mother's life. He was Spanish. My first love. Um, abandoned me he was spanish so i'm just going to destroy their empire i'm going to twist the knife it's like bolivar uh seeking for seeking for meaning he he didn't particularly have a a fondness for the spanish after spending time in spain uh and when his wife died he decided well i'm just going to overthrow the empire because i have uh, nothing left to live for so how does this power couple work so he's off doing the fighty thing on the battlefield what does she do well, this is interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> it really is. I, it's just great the way I, they had to hook up. If they didn't, it would just not be a good story. It would Indeed. be like season eight of Game of Thrones. <laughs> it would just be like, what? <laughs> this is what should be happening, and it's not, and I'm angry. So how does it work, this power couple? Well, uh, unlike some of his other affairs, and obviously she, would, she would not be his last mistress, but she would be his greatest mistress. Mm. And the one he, he actually cared deeply about but he was a like i say he was a complicated fellow and, and quite confused in 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 terms of his personal life and remember he he never got over his 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 first wife either so there is the, there are these challenges but nevertheless he's trying to run a revolution it's not an easy revolution to do it's not like the one that the uh the north americans fought it's, it's much more complicated and fought over a much wider um, continent, the, almost the entire continent, actually. And, and it's, a, it's a complicated continent as well, isn't it? Like oh, yes. terrain-wise, and that it trumps America. Oh yeah, and when we say when we say America, you know, in terms of the American Revolution, we're talking about the thirteen colonies and a bit of Canada. Yeah, not the entire continent to the Rockies or anything like that. And that is the that is what we're dealing with here. This is from this is from the Caribbean Sea to to southern Peru and Argentina. Yeah, I mean to get so to Lima, you've got across a bloody big mountain range, and then it's just perched on the coast, isn't it? So it's not you easy do. to get to. No, it's not easy to get to. It's it's it is uh, a, an awful place to fight a war. Yeah. <laughs> <basically. laughs> Uh, but yeah, the power couple it, um, uh, set against this was pretty much that she would go wherever he was. 
if he would let her. And he would often try and keep her a little distant now and again until he just grew to miss her too much and then said, do please come. And, well, he, he would say it in much more romantic terms like that. He, the, letters are, the letters to each other, the ones that survive, are, are, are full of, you know, like romantic, flowery phrases. And, oh, um, so he just, was good at the flannel. Oh, yes, yes, he was good at the flannel. And cool. uh, he, had, he had the gift of gab, remember. You know, he could, uh, he could, probably, he could probably persuade her to to do to 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 try and you could probably persuade her to just if you stay here I'm going to go and fight a little and then I'll send for you and stuff like that as again well as, not to trivialize but if you've got the gift of the gab to the extent that you can overthrow the Spanish Empire on a whole continent mm-hmm. then if you're not using it to get laid as well then you're missing a trick aren't you you are yeah and he did he 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 definitely was uh, able to, to to use that to his advantage. I'm guessing but, she was as well, though. Well, yes. I mean, she... I don't know if she... She wasn't as eloquent as 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 Bolivar was. She used to get mocked because she had a Quito accent, uh, so she wasn't as refined as as some, some ladies, I suppose, in Lima and things like that. But the extent but, of my girl crush on her now is that I like to think she just shot those people. <laughs> well, we'll get to her, 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 her sort of, I suppose we'll get to her, her response to, to people who, uh, who took objection to her. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not, not too far from the mark. Um, basically, she would go wherever he went, though. Inevitably, even if she, was, she couldn't go immediately with him, whenever he settled in a city after going on campaign and stuff, she would, uh, she would always go to him and live and, like, and rent or buy a house right next door to wherever his house was <laughs> and then openly live with him uh, wherever he happened to go in that place. There's even stories that she actually went on campaign with the army in, I think, 1824, but I haven't really been able to substantiate whether that's just part of the legend or not. Um, I know that she persuaded him at one point to make her an officer practically. Um, and he made her a captain and then a colonel, I believe. And she loved dressing up in her hussar's uniform uh, to shock people. And I believe she even uh, painted a moustache on once or twice. And she and and he gave and he but I know he definitely gave her control of his personal archives, and she took that duty very seriously, and so she she actually had a proper staff appointment with the army, theoretically speaking, and so that was uh, another way that they could that she could make it it work because she his, she she it was her job to take the archives to him where whenever he got whenever he got kind of camped out in a, in a particular place and so i mean there was one point i think uh when i think she had to go to lima or bogota one of the two and she took five people his archives crossed the andes and crocodile infested rivers to to get to get this to get his papers to him and then of course you know you know shacked up but uh, this was how it worked Basically, she decided that 
we're together now, and uh, that means I'm going to go wherever you're going to go. That time period, though, that's quite far advanced for women to be able to say, you know, okay, you're going, I'm coming with you. Yes, I get the impression that, like you were saying before, um, about her persuasiveness. Mm. You get the impression from the things that people wrote about her that she was very difficult to say no to, despite the gift of gab that Bolivar had. And sometimes he could sort of like use his honeyed words to kind of like, you know, tell her what to do. Generally yeah. speaking, he did this in letters. In person, I don't think, I think she was in charge. Yeah, this is it, isn't it? It's like for all of his honeyed words um, and his ability to control his like military world and everything, get them home and they do as they're told. Yeah. She wears the pants in the relationship. Oh, sorry, trousers in the relationship. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> Indeed. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, well, then Bolivar, he becomes president, doesn't he? Yeah. <clears throat> what happens to Manuela at that time? During her, well, during his up and down career, he goes from like being a general and then he's a president of uh, like uh, the first republic of um, Grand Colombia and then he gets kicked out of it and then he gets offered um, he gets offered to become the president of uh, you get, yeah, yeah, he gets the offer to be president again and he sets up shop in Bogota and Manuela obviously as was watched, as we just discussed, she she came to she came to she travelled to be with him, and as was her her want, she she got a house really close to the presidential palace, and would go go up to his country house for the week for the weekend, uh, or however long he would stay. It was a place called La Quinta, which, funnily enough, is a really confusing thing to call it, for it to be called because there is a hotel chain in America of uh, motels sort of upper sort of better type motels called La Quinta Inn. And so if you Google La Quinta Bogota, you're going to come up with a bunch of hotel names and you have to be quite specific about the search if you want to try and find this place, but it still exists. And uh, so she, she went up to, she was, this was sort of what she was doing. And by this point, uh, also, we should mention that 
she was she was a very infamous figure uh, in terms of co- sort of conservative society because she was openly uh, living with uh, the president of their, their country uh, in Bogota, and she didn't care. Uh, she was quite and and she didn't care she didn't care about what people thought and she certainly didn't care about the uh, appeals from her husband who she did not bother to divorce you know asking her to come back to him i her love this so the husband is still knocking around yes 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 <laughs> by this point he just must have been like fml yeah yeah i mean i think this is actually part of the reason why bolivar now and again, I had to try and keep his distance from her, whether he liked it or not, because he was an important man and he had a reputation to to kind of preserve. Now, he might have had the odd casual affair, but Manuela was very different. Everybody knew that she pretty much lived with him from from time to time and was a regular sort of person on his arm and obviously in his bedroom. So it's like he... I think at some point pressure from uh, Dr. Thorne sort of impelled Bolivar now and again to say, um, to, try and, to try and keep his distance, but it never usually lasted very long. And her letter to him is savage <laughs> in its honesty. <laughs> to just say, you are lame, I'm not coming home, Manuela. Is, exactly, it's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that cuts to the heart of it. Um, she goes on like a whole bunch of things about uh, about his English temperament and things like that. But that is pretty much it. Yeah. Um, I love so, this woman. Yeah, she's, she's, she's fantastic. Um, so she's in Bogota. She's just living her life. She's having, she's having her best life. She's having a good time. Um, unfortunately, uh, things are a bit damp and, and miserable in Bogota at the second. Things haven't been going too well for President Bolivar. There's been some military reverses here and there. He's depressed. He has a fever. Most of the palace has a fever. There are people who don't like him very much anymore because when, when, you, when you turn from victorious general to kind of statesman, everybody start knows... Start telling them what to do. Yeah, everybody knows that you stop being a hero and start being the guy everybody hates. So... You know, there are a lot of people who aren't who aren't exactly pleased with with Bolivar anymore, and so he's pretty depressed. He's pretty depressed. And Manuela, she's uh, she has a bit of a cold too, and she's hanging out in her house one night. They don't know that things are actually about to kick off rather dramatically. Uh, it's eighteen twenty-eight, by the way, for anybody who's trying to keep track of our <laughs> of our chronology here. But basically a bunch of guys have got together and said, we're going to kill Simon Bol- Simon Bolivar and we're going to, uh, you know, start a new government, which is just now, I, th- I guess, the beginning of a trend in South America or something like that. I don't know. But he is blithely unaware of this. And he's just feeling, he's just feeling sorry for himself. He's feeling sick. I love and this. He, so he's got man flu and is making way more of it than is necessary somewhere in a palace, is what you're saying. Well, it's, it does sound like that. I, I, will, I, will plead, I will plead for the benefit of the doubt because he was an inherently poorly man. Maybe, maybe he made too much of this because he was a very dramatic soul at heart. 
who knows? Uh, but uh, whatever the case, he sent a note around to Manuela asking her to come around and take care of him. And she at first said no, because I'm not feeling well myself. Uh, but then he pleaded again, and she said, all right. And so she I goes can across. just imagine the man up and stop being a pussy that <laughs> went back the first time. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. I could, she would She would probably have told him that. He's like, I'm sick. De- deal with it. I'll see you tomorrow or something like that. You have servants there. But, um, yeah, she she eventually went around. You know, she put on her cloak and galoshes and things like that because it was raining. She went out and she went and see him. And uh, he was in his bath, soaking, trying to trying to deal with his fever. And so she, she took care of him, you know, she, she, she hung out with him, she read to him, she put him to bed, and then she fell asleep next to him. Um, you know, after listening to his woes and, and basically not allowing him How to feel sorry for himself. How he was dying and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically just, yeah, being, giving him a tough, giving him a tough love. Just, I guess, softly or not so softly mocking him whenever he would complain about things. And I think this is, to be honest, this no-nonsense attitude that, about not caring exactly about how important he was um, and treating him like just, a, just like anybody else was probably one of the things he really liked about him. But, so they both went to sleep, not knowing that these assassins are at this moment coming to the door. Now, these assassins are not terribly subtle people. They're not going to use a sniper's rifle. They're not going to use poison. They're going to batter down the door and kill everybody. This is a coup. So suddenly there's a huge commotion outside. People start yelling and shots start being fired and things are, are not looking, things aren't sounding great. It's like the middle of the night. So whenever stuff like this happens, you know, it's dogs barking, guns going off. It's, it's not, not encouraging for people who aren't feeling well. So Manuela woke up Bolivar and he goes and grabs some weapons to defend the door. And she says, basically, you're an idiot. Get dressed and don't panic. And by the, so he, he so he sort of demures and says, no, all right. And by this, by the time he's dressed, um, you know, the, the sounds of the sounds of the assassins crashing through the, the palace are getting louder. Bolivar finds out he has no shoes because he'd sent them to be polished. And sorry, I cannot deal with this coup because I can't find my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But Manuela is, 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 is ready for for any emergency. And so she gives him her galoshes that, um, that she had worn over on the way over and basically said, jump out the window. No, this is good a job she's around, really, isn't it? Otherwise, yeah, like, yes, yeah. how did this, how did this amazing revolutionary function without her to find his shoes and take he care was, of him? Got a cold. I will say that people, the the, the hard bitten cavalry of the plains, who they called this Yanieros, called him Iron Ass because he was so tough. But he was, a, he was also, at the same time, the most delicate and confused guy you will probably ever read about as well. Who, when things go wrong, could absolutely lose it or just rise to the challenge. And at this point, he's feeling ill, he's tired, and 
is just making all the wrong calls. And luckily Manuela is there, like you say. <laughs> he tells him to jump out of the window and run for it. <laughs> so it is apparently an easy jump out of the window. I don't know which floor they're on, but he makes it to the ground and he runs off into the dark. Not convinced course, she didn't have to push him. Well, maybe she did, I don't know. She watched him disappear into into the gloom, and by which time it's obvious that the assassins are at the door. Now, this is a problem, as you can imagine. She's, she's just in the room now and has no help, and everybody else is probably either arrested or dead or try, running away themselves trying to find help. So what does she do? She grabs a sword and goes to the door. She opens it and asks very politely what the matter is. And they go, we want Bolivar. And she says, he's not here. But I'll help you search for him. (laughs) (laughs) And so she guides them around the palace for a good deal of time, searching for him. (laughs) And then they start to cotton on to the idea that, hey, maybe his mistress is leaving as a merry dance here. And she just outright tells them to their face, I helped him escape, now you can kill me. And they do try. For a... <laughs> they beat her to the ground, they kick her, and they start hitting her with the flats of their swords. Until one guy says, you know, this really isn't making us look very good. We are, we are you know, we, we did, did we really come here to kill women? And we're really so supposed to be searching for Bolivar. And so they all run off to see if they can find him. That is what this this is what she did when 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 Bolivar was president. She saved his life. She became the Libertadora uh, del Libertador. Uh, that is how she is best remembered. The the woman in the, the 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 beautiful woman in the doorway with the sword standing between Bolivar and the assassins who were rounded up in the next couple of days. So he scurried off to exile, so he obviously wasn't that sick. Um, <laughs> but So what happens to her afterwards? Screw him, we're not well, really good about him. Well, the thing is, because, because she was able to save him, he was able to get to loyal troops. And so this coup was immediately contained. And so he stayed in Bogota, and she stayed with him there. And she became... She, she immediately went from the mocked and kind of, well, probably, you know, hated, for whatever reason, mistress, to a national hero, uh, because Bolivar was so, so impressed with her, and so grateful to her, um, probably after seeing her, you know, and just, you, you, you put yourself in his place. He just, he escaped with his life, and... He didn't know if they were going to kill her or what. And then she appears. And then next time he sees her, that she's covered in bruises from having basically saved his life. I just thought she probably just kicked the door open and went, well, that was shit. Yeah. yeah. But you really have to do more, get better security guards, seriously. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is ridiculous. But But it is true that his days in office were pretty much numbered after this because he lost all kind of confidence in, in the fact that people wanted him to be president. And uh, I believe he resigned. um, I believe he resigned within the next year or so, even though I think Manuela 
was a driving force in keeping him there uh, until that until he just sort of packed up and, and left because you know a coup is a coup is not a great thing to happen to a to a popular leader you know it kind of kind of demonstrates that uh, that the people aren't really with you and uh, I don't think he was able to win them back so Manuela and he continue continue living together until he, ha- he he leaves for the last time and he goes off and I forget particularly what he goes off to do um, I think he goes off to fight again or or tries to or, or tries to go off um, uh, or, or goes to, to try and to try and gather support somewhere else but I'm a little unclear as to that point uh, so I won't talk about t- too much in case uh, I say something completely daft. He went off to become a balloon salesman. Um, that's what he did. Yeah, balloon salesman. But As in like party balloons or hot air balloons? Yes, of course. Yes, he, he went off to, he went off to, to uh, I'm joking. Okay, I was going to say no. I'd at least clarify that it was at least party yeah. balloons because that's funny. Yeah, he went, yeah, exactly. He went off to, to, to sell, to sell those balloon animals. Yeah. And then he dies in 1830, and that's the end of him, and everybody knows him when he talks yeah. about him. So we're not going to talk about him. Let's, talk, let's stick with Manuela. Yes, he went off and he died. And sadly, um, he didn't make provision for her in his will. Now, uh, obviously, he didn't know he was going to die. He died quite suddenly. Uh, but that is, not, that is beside the point. Still, mother, what a knob. Yes, it's, 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 very, it's, very, it's very uncool. It's very uncool that he didn't make kiss. You know, he he knew he was he knew he was a marked man. He knew he could technically die any time, and he knew he was also quite sick. So he had so many issues regarding the people regarding his romantic life that it's it's very it's very it's 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 dubious, isn't it? It's not not great. Now she she stayed in Bogota. And did a, and a lot more shenanigans happened because she became the target of all of his enemies because she stayed there and she was fated not only to love him but believe in him and so she she became uh, she became a pain in the backside to the new president of Bogota and she trolled him you know she became his troll she she said you're not she she kept just you know, telling anybody who would listen, you're not the president, but Bolivar is the president and, and all such things like that. Uh, every opportunity she got, this did not win him any friends. Uh, only Bolivar's uh, closest generals and things uh, and people like that gave her, actually, actually sort of stayed by her and things like that. Um, and she, <laughs> there, there is a story of, of uh, during the festival of Corpus Christi, um, large effigies being erected in the in the pl- in the main plaza of her and Bolivar, uh, with rather um, unflattering allusions written on them, and Manuela got her two loyal servants. These servants, by the way, I should say, are a little confusing to me because I'm not actually clear if there's two of them or one of them. But, uh, and also it's unclear as to whether they were, they or she was a slave or not. 
but uh, the, there was a black woman or women who were really loyal to her and went everywhere with her and used to, you know, carry on in her, in her, in her games and uh, outrageous, outrageous tricks and things that she used to do. So she took these people down to the town square anyway, armed and dressed in, in military uniforms and then calmly told them to take, tear the statues down, <laughs> which they promptly tried to do and were arrested by the guards in the square. There, there followed a brawl outside of her house when people came to mock her. And uh, one of her male servants ran out with a pistol and was immediately attacked when, try, when he tried to clear the crowd. Uh, so Manuela, watching from the balcony, said, well, there's a fight down there. I'm not, someone's fighting for me down there. I'm not just going to stay up here. So she grabbed a weapon and one and her servant and one of the and this uh, and the famous and the famous servant also followed her, and they went out into the street and had a brawl, which had to be broken up by one of Bolivar's generals who had stayed in Bogota. This is the problem. This is this is kind of summing up her 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 stay in Bogota after Bolivar left. When he died, obviously she didn't believe it at first, but it was true, and obviously she was now pretty much adrift. And whenever he, and it has to be said that whenever she was not immediately connected to him, or did not have him around to serve as a protector, because he let her get away with anything and could quite easily act as a shield whenever she got in over her head. She got into trouble when this was not around because there was, she couldn't put the brakes on. Uh, and this is obviously what happened here. She got exiled, and the rest of her life is really quite tragic, really, because not only did Bolivar not provide for her, when her husband died, she, for some legal reasons, I mean, probably because of the whole infidelity thing, <clears throat> Uh, did not get the inheritance that she should have got. And she ended up in a small town in northern Peru um, where she made a living from selling tobacco and translating the love letters of uh, Pacific whalers to their Spanish sweethearts. That's really sad. Yeah. But I guess live fast. Live yeah. by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the thing. I mean, if when you when you live, when you live that type of life, you are always in danger of of the uh, worst happening, or like the most dramatic, <laughs> the most dramatic worst happening. Like you can lose everything or have everything. Uh, and Manuela, you know, she didn't. She never really settled for a middle ground. You know, people were either her her friends or her enemies. People were good or vile to her. And you know, when she was there, she was so semi celebrated. You know, she was she's like the she's like the famous she's like the famous person who lives as a hermit in this out of the way place. You know, that in the adventure novel, um, uh, because she she still ran into the odd odd person who I presume sought her out. She met. She met Giuseppe Garibaldi and um, Herman Melville, uh, author of Moby Dick, 
when she was in this little place in Peru. And, but that is, that's where she, that was where she ended up and that's where she died. Uh, I believe in the diphtheria epidemic in the 1850s. Um, and just to compound it all, uh, nobody knows where she was buried because she was buried in a mass grave. It was apparently that bad, this epidemic. And it was only recently that the, that the government of, I believe it's Peru or maybe it's Ecuador, one of the two, um, raised a monument to her, um, to, so, so that people would have a grave to visit if they so wanted to, because obviously, but even then there's no body associated with it. It's just sort of a honorary thing. And so this is, this is, this, that's where, that's where it ends. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about a part of history that uh, Alex and I didn't know very much about. So thank you so much for plugging that, uh, that gap for us. My pleasure. I, I really, really enjoy talking about Manuela. She's one of my favorite characters from, from the South American Wars of Independence. And I hope people will, will go out and, and read more about it because there's a lot more. Highest honor here. She needs a Netflix series. Yes. I think she, start, I think she is in some Netflix series already, but she doesn't have her own. So, yeah. absolutely. Join us on Monday when we will be with John Trigg looking at D-Day through German eyes. That's a fascinating discussion, so don't miss out on that one. Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join... There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe.